and welcome to the RTE Soccer Podcast. I'm Anthony Pine and I'm delighted to be joined this week by Paul Curry and Keith Tracy. We'll be looking at the title race as we head for the season's climax. We'll have a chat about Bohemian's new manager, Declan Devine, and further reflect on the huge achievement of the Ireland women's team who qualified for her first ever World Cup at Hampton Park last Tuesday night. But first, we're going to digest the drama of Sunday's FAI Cup semi-finals. It's Shelburne versus Derry City in the decider at the Aviva Stadium next month. Uh, what, a, what a great match that is to look forward to as well. We're going to have a chat about Shells. First of all, they met Waterford at the RSC thanks to a Gavin Malloy goal. Uh, it's their first time in the Cup final for 11 years. But before that, let's hear from their manager, Damien Duff. He was speaking to RT Sport at the final whistle. Yeah, well, listen, the guys are in there singing songs. You just want to be careful what you play. But um, absolutely amazing. The streams come true. Like I said, absolutely blows away anything I've ever done in my career. Um, amazing day, obviously a hostile crowd, four or five thousand. Did we play great? No, but I told the guys in the dressing room beforehand, it was 18 lines versus four or five thousand, and we come out on top, so couldn't be any prouder. Isn't semi-finals all about just winning, though? Exactly, yeah, but listen, high standards, I always want to do it the nice way. But it wasn't, uh, wasn't pretty, like you said, Tony, but we're there. Gavin Malloy to score. A goal you'd have been proud of, I'm sure. Does that make it a masterstroke for you to choose him in the first place? I don't know about that. Uh, I think his granddad, Theo, would be very uh, proud as well, along with the, uh, the extended family. There's quite a few of them, but listen, Gav's been outstanding. That sliding doors moment three, four months ago, gets his chance, takes it. All of a sudden, he's playing the cup final, so it's what dreams are made of. In the earlier part of the game, you controlled the game, though, and you could have had, you hit the woodwork, you could have had two or three. Uh, yes, we could have. Well, listen, sometimes it can come back to bite you, and you can feel the nerves the tension and maybe we looked a bit leggy from the emotion of the game in the second half but like you said Tony um, doesn't matter what way once you get through we start the mind games now you're underdogs against Derry surely uh, listen I'll have to change my mindset because all I've said all along was get to the final get to the final I never addressed whether winning the final so the guys the staff myself alone will have to, to change that mindset yeah we're in it to win it now um, but listen we've won we shouldn't be here Little old shells, as people call us, everyone hates us, I think. Uh, we're in the division for another year, and we're, uh, we're in a final. Hey, it doesn't get any better. Well done. Thanks, Tony. OK, that was Damien Duff, uh, and I think we can all see that, what, what it meant to him yesterday. Uh, I mean, one of, the, one of the things he said within that interview, Keith, it blows away anything I've done in my career. Um, I mean, is, is that, do you think that's, he means that, or is that I mean, he's just caught up in the moment? Because, I mean, he had such an incredible career. That's, that is quite a statement to say that isn't it it's a, it's a huge when you when you consider what Damien Duff has done in his career you know I, I'm a huge admirer of, of Damien as a footballer and the things he's done the World Cup he played in, in Saipan with the way he played for Ireland that year he was he was excellent he's moved to Chelsea the, the Champions League games he played the one that comes to mind is the game against Barcelona for Chelsea when he scored the goal he, but to say something like that look manager like I, I'm literally just dipping my toe into the water of coaching now and I'm starting to realise how hard it is and how much more responsibility you have than versus as a player. So I think Damien realises being a manager is really, really tough and he's, he seems to take to it like a duck to water. He really has. And he, at least he hasn't he hasn't just jumped in at the deep end. He's done it the right way. He's come up through underage, various underage things and, and jumped through. And he seems to be taking to it like a duck to water. And I, I was doing the co-commentary for RT yesterday and any sort of 50-50 ball or 50-50 decision that the ref gave, he was out with the technical area, he was waving his hands, and he's just as entertaining to watch as the game half the time. And 
I, I love it because I've been in Irish camps with Damien and he was really, really shy and withdrawn person as a footballer. It was very hard to get anything out of him, but as a, as a manager, he, he's gold to watch. I love him. And even listening to his, to his before the semi-final, I listened to his press conference and he made me want to get me boots on and run through a brick wall from him. He's that type of manager. And I think he's taken a lot of the Mourinho aspects that, uh, the, the old Mourinho style at Chelsea. I think he's taken an awful, awful lot of aspects from that and, and running with it. And it seems to be a it seems to be a match made in heaven at the minute. Yeah, and, and another part of that interview, another quote in that interview, Paul, little old shells, as people call us, everyone hates us, I think. Uh, that is that is very Mourinho-esque, isn't it? But he's really embraced the whole uh, sort of needle, for want of a better word, within the league and the rivalries. He hasn't shirked it at all. He's, he's, he seems to... He faces that full on, doesn't he, week to week? Yeah, he certainly does. I mean, there's there's certainly elements of Mourinho, even the language that he used within that interview about kind of that siege mentality where it's everybody against shells. And I mean, I would speak to to people consistently throughout the league, and I'm not sure that um, that rhetoric is is certainly repeated. Like, I I don't hear many people disliking shells. Maybe close rivals when it comes around to match day, yes, but. It seems to be working for them, uh, like like what Keith said. Uh, the players are certainly buying into to what he's building there at the club, and if, if that's what he needs on a, on a day like a semi final to get them through, well then he's going to go with that narrative. Um, and semi finals are there for for winning, Anthony. Like the it wasn't exactly the um the prettiest games of football. The conditions were absolutely horrific yesterday, but they really dug in yesterday, and you can kind of see that determination within the squad. He's he's got a young crop of players there who are certainly. Uh, rallying behind him and, and he's done extremely well to get them this far so yeah I mean he's early on in his managerial career there's probably different elements from different managers that you'll see at different stages and uh, that one yesterday certainly had the the kind of the Mourinho narrative to it and it's working um, if they can add two three players to that squad next year they'll go up another level but what he's put in place now is is really strong foundations and he's got a core group of players there that you can certainly build uh, upon next year and uh, who's to say that they're not going to go the full way against Derry in the final and and they were worth it yesterday Keith I think I mean it was 1-0 but like, I think it was relatively comfortable for them wasn't it yeah it was relatively comfortable they, uh, it, I, I think what Paul is saying is right and what Damien is saying about people not liking Shells I think you think what he's talking about is Shells style of play they play that three centre halves and the two wing backs and as soon as the wing backs lose it they just retreat into a back five so, so quickly. It's horrible to play against. I played against back fives like that. And you get when you win the ball in the turnover play, you've got to go and hold them straight away. So your, your passing has to be accurate, has to be crisp. And with the conditions yesterday and the pitch being the way it was, it was never, you know, Waterford were going to have to do something exceptional to hit the back of the net. And to be fair, the Shell's goal, the Malloy's goal was an excellent. Matty Smith just gets into a little pocket of space, plays a, a beautifully weighted pass into his into uh, Malloy's Malloy's path and yet, yet I, initially I was thinking go on cross it but he hits it and it ju- he just hits it so sweetly straight into the back of the net and after that Shelbourne I wouldn't say they camped but the next 10 minutes they hit the post missed a one on one and then it, they sort of retreated ever so slightly Phoenix Patterson was lively throughout but without really ever testing Brendan Clark he was having you know, he was making nice little runs Junior Quintana it never really came into the game, threatened, puffed and puffed. But Shelbourne, the two wing backs and uh, the two sentiment failures, they just kept them under wraps. You know, they they once or twice they had half little runs, little half shots, but 
throughout the 90 minutes, given the conditions, Shelbourne were largely comfortable and Damien Duff would be delighted because they went in the first 20 minutes, they were 1-0 up and they just kept the water for that arm's length. And given the talent that you have, I know they're a fourth division team, but the five wins on the bounce to go down there in them conditions and do what Shelbourne did, huge, huge, uh, huge plaudits to them because it wasn't easy. There was a, there was a bit of key Tracy that gave him a low strike. Obviously, excellent one. It was some strike. <laughs> I tell you, the way he hit it, Paul, honestly, when it went to him, you know, as a player, you're thinking, go on, hit it. That never even entered my head. I was thinking, go on, put it across the six-yard box. So, I, I was, if I was a player, I probably would have started berating him, but then it hit the back of the net and it was, <laughs> oh, what a great strike. So, yeah, no fair play. It was a great goal and it, the game needed something like that to open it up. And Yeah, what, Shelbourne were brilliant and Waterford just, just couldn't seem to lay a glove on them whatsoever. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful strike to win it, and uh, the reward is a meeting with Derry City, and they could actually finish the season with a double. They were too strong for Treaty United, and um, we're just going to hear from Rory Higgins uh, before we have a chat about them. He took the opportunity to pay tribute to a couple of club legends after that match. Um, again, he was speaking to RT Sport. That's difficult as a manager. They they really enjoy it. There's so much going on, um, but you do you see the potential of this football club the last, and to be fair, we had a tricky month in May, early June where results didn't go for us, but our supporters kept coming. We kept selling the place out. And it, I suppose it's on days like this where you remember Ryan McBride, um, who would who would probably still be playing and captain in the club at this, this stage. You remember Mark Farn. I played with both. Mark Farn scored a, a cup final goal. Ryan McBride's played in cup finals. Um, so uh, for me personally, and, and, and I know a lot of the players and staff here, it's on days like this that you really remember those two and and, and, and they're in our thoughts and um, it's a massive day for the football club and hopefully we can bring a huge crowd now to Dublin. There was a steward before the game was pointing out where Ryan's house was and Liam mm. Coyle's house was and was talking to us about various players who literally have grown up in mm. the shadow of this football club. How important is that connection and the realisation within a dressing room for so many players of what it means to people who have lived their life based on the Brandywell and based on this club? Yeah, there is a... It, it's unique in a sense. It's had a, a lot of hard times. Um, and you're right, there's there's a lot of special players who have come from a stone throw through this ground. And Ryan, the, the goal that we scored the two goals in, uh, Ryan lived, lived about, what, 100 metres behind that, if even that. So it's special. It's a unique football club. And, and it's important that we keep... Uh, I suppose the, the, the new players that come into the club, it's important that we educate them on who these people are and, and what they mean to the club. And for me personally, they've been in my thoughts from, from the minute I woke up this morning. Yeah, that was Rory Higgins uh, chatting about Derry and, and a really good day for them too. Uh, Paul, there's big, big, big expectations uh, around Derry this year. Would you, at this point of the season, say that they've largely fulfilled them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was probably a, a number of questions coming into the to the season about how quickly they'd be able to gel some of the players that they brought in because they brought a number of, of new faces into the club. And obviously Rory is, is quite early in, in his managerial career and how he was going to manage that whole situation. But I mean, since the, the turn of the break, they've been flawless in, in their displays and in, in their kind of their points tally and how they've progressed in the different competitions. Bar kind of that that slip in, in May, I think it was, when they went a number of games where they dropped a number of points. The season has gone really well for them. I think what's been particularly important is is bringing McElhenney back in from, 
from the cold and, and from being out injured and the same with Michael Duffy and they just bring so much experience to that squad one how to win games but also so much quality in that final third and uh, that that really showed yesterday um I, I, I kind of worried for Treaty after 15 20 minutes when it went when they went 2 0 up the McGonagall goal was was probably a bit of a gift. McElhenney kind of just drifted into the penalty area, good pullback and a good finish. And then the second goal, the McJanet cross and the good Brandon Kavanagh header started to think, God, this this could be a bit of a, a Dundalk at loan situation from a couple of years ago in the FA Cup semi-final. But to be fair to Tommy Barrett's side, they they held in there and, and they pulled one back through Ender Curran. But by and large, Derry had 90% of the play. They should have scored far more goals. They should have put the game to bed early. But they did enough on the day to to get to the final. And that's exactly what Rory's looking to do. I mean, if they could bag an FAI Cup final this year, add to that squad, they're going to be a serious threat to Shamrock Rovers. They have the resources, they have the players. And in Rory Higgins, they certainly have the manager to, to go to that next level. So it's all boding well at this moment in time. Uh, I think the addition of, of Mark Conley since he's gone from Dundalk to Derry has really sure things up at the back. Um, Owen Toll obviously left, so they need a replacement there. And I think he's been extremely strong since he's gone in. And at this moment in time, Derry are banging form and, and they're going to challenge on all fronts and they're going to be a difficult team to stop in the Aviva. That wide pitch, those players going forward, um, they're a serious team going forward. And just to pick up actually, Anthony, on, on Rory's point um, within the within the Indian field, when he when he spoke about the connection to the community and the players, um, I think that's vitally important. Like when I went up and I played there, it's such a difficult place to go. Kind of felt like in the last two, three years, it became a bit of a soft touch. And maybe there was a bit of a disconnect between the club and the community. But Rory's brought that right back to home. You can see that there's there's almost a, an education given to players who come up who are not from the area about what that club means. And you can certainly see it. The likes of Brandon Cavanagh, the likes of Brian Maher. Um, speaking to them they know what it's about up there and Derry seem to have, have gotten back to where they were probably a couple of years ago yeah it's going to be a great occasion that final we had bowls pats last year which was you know it's always a great day but two two clubs really hungry uh, for a bit of silverware and a bit of success so we, we can really look forward to that we should just have a word as well Keith on the two beaten semi-finalists uh, Treaty and Waterford uh, they're both in the playoffs in, in the first division they actually meet each other in the playoffs later this month but um, plenty of credit. They they come out with this this cup room with plenty of credit and things looking pretty good for both of them off the pitch and on the outside at least looking in. Yeah, I think both of them should uh should hold their heads up high. Treaty obviously, you know, like Paul says, after 15, 20 minutes they're two 0 down. You're thinking, oh my god, the floodgate could open here. This could be a, a really poor result. But fair play to them. They dug in and going up the north. It's a really really tough place to go. Obviously the conditions aren't great. It's on an Astro as well. So there's all sorts of different conditions. But to be able to turn that tide when Derry are getting on top, and I, I know they didn't completely turn the tide. They, they didn't turn the, the fixture around. They only got the one goal. But to not take a drumming up there when Derry are in the ascendancy and with the amount of talent they have, McElhenney, Kavanagh, Duffy, McGonagall, these are all really, really talented. These are at the, the top the top end of the Premiership, never mind the, the Division 1. So three each should get huge talent. Waterford, exactly the same huge huge uh, push, push Cork all the way only a couple of points behind them and they're in great form as well I I have to be honest I, I expected Waterford to be a lot better yesterday but I put I put 90% of that down to conditions and 10% down to down to how well Shelbourne were the conditions were, were awful they really really were so to put any type of football together would have been difficult and I think Shelbourne managed the conditions better than, uh, than Waterford did but like you say 
they deserve huge, huge credit. Still, still could get promoted, and if they do, you know what a season that would have been. And to me, they would be my tip. I know they weren't great yesterday. They would be my tip for the playoffs, just given the form they're in in the league. Yeah, but we'll have a chat about you know potentially how those players would go just in terms of the bottom of the Premier Division in a, in a little bit. But just to look at the title race because Shamrock Rovers were held by by Drada one all bit of a bulky team for them this year actually Drada. Uh, is it too late for Derry, Paul? Six points behind, game in hand, probably run out of matches at this stage, but is there any kind of glimmer of hope there, do you think? I mean, the ball is certainly still in, in Shamrock Rovers' court and you would still expect them at this stage of the season to go and uh, and get the business done. But, I mean, Drogheda almost single-handedly have, have helped Derry get back yeah. into it. Derry's league form has been impeccable, but... Drahad have taken so many points off Shamrock Rovers this this season. Nobody would have suspected it. The next, I mean, the next fourteen days is going to be pivotal. Shamrock Rovers play St. Pat's and then and then they play Derry. And if they can kind of navigate their way past St. Pat's, you would you would somewhat fancy them. But at this moment in time, it's hard it's hard to call just because if you look at the last two fixtures, the drop points against Drahad and then they very nearly drop points against Shelburne. The toll, I know Stephen Bradley mentioned in his interview yesterday that they're a professional club and you know the European games shouldn't take its toll, but the results would, would some somewhat evidence that it, it might be. Um and maybe not physically, but maybe mentally draining with regards to going from Thursday to Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, and the nature of the European games probably takes a lot out of them. Uh, you you would still fancy them, Anthony. Um, you know the fixtures that they have. They've passed Derry and UCD. UCD, you would imagine they pick up three, and if they pick up two from from the other six, that should be enough to get them over the line. They've got really good experience of of uh, handling big games, of winning big games, and of winning trophies. So you would certainly fancy them from here. But what Derry have shown over the last number of months is that if they do drop points, they've been there and they've been on their on their heels to to kind of pick up any steps that there's been. So the Pats game will be huge. If they beat Pats, it's for me, it's it's done and dusted. But if they were to drop points, that game against Derry would be absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. Right. Did you ever had that, by the way, Keith, just a, a bogey team in your playing days where, for whatever reason, you just couldn't get the better of them over a couple of seasons or the course of the season? Um, I had some dodgy grounds I hated going to, but well, yeah, the ground I hated going to Millwall, you know, the old den. I hated going there, never seemed to be able to play well, and the crowd were on top of you. Just, just a horrible game. You knew it was going to be a percentage game, it wasn't going to be a pretty game of football. And you know, you'd be in the tunnel, there'd be people barking at you and shouting, and it was just a really intimidating atmosphere. I, I was always happy to pack my bags and get out of that place, if I'm honest. Yeah. I've never, I've never gotten so into Millwall. <laughs> from from everything from five year olds to fifty year olds, and I was only warming up on on the bench. And my God, the abuse! I couldn't wait to get out of the place. And Ian Holloway was in charge. I'm sure you probably played against him at that period in time. Yeah, he was like a conductor to the orchestra. He loved it. He was riling it up. Jesus Christ, what a what a place to play a game of football! Yeah, yeah. but they did it to their own players as well, so you couldn't take it too personal. If <laughs> one of their own own players didn't play well, they'd be lifting them over, going down the dressing room. It was. It was a a unique place. Yeah, just just a reminder then of the the run in of the two teams. So there you have Shelburne at home next, then Sligo away away to Shamrock Rovers, which as the lads mentioned, are potentially absolutely huge game, and then they finish at home to Dundalk, uh, Shamrock Rovers at Pats at home, Derry home, and then UCD away. So we'll see what the next couple of weeks brings. And Dundalk threw their point ahead of Pats, who had a good three one win over Bohemians last Friday. 
Uh, and at the bottom, Finn Hearts were beaten 2-1 by Dundalk. And that means they are level on points with UCD, Keith. Uh, UCD have a game in hand. Hearts run in is bowls away. They then play UCD at home in their second last match. And then they finish away to Drada. Um, I think you've kind of have been saying for a good few months that you think UCD are going to be the ones that, that escape automatic relegation. Are you, are you sticking with that? I might as well. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah. Look, I, I think UCD and Finn Harps, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, the two of them seem to be, you know, not, losing by the odd goal here and there, then taking a hammering and they're just stuttering now, but it looks like it's all going to come down to the 28th of October when they play each other and Finn Harps will be at home. I, I, I think it's all, it will all come down to that. That's going to be a huge game, but I do fancy Finn Harps. I'm not sure why. I, I, I don't co-commentary when, uh, when Pats played them and Pats beat them in the game but there was just little pockets in the game where the, where things were clicking in an attacking sense and I, I just liked them I just thought these these are alright if these could put this together for a sustained period and look losing away to Pats from a, from a UCD point of view is not going to relegate you it's matching Finn Harps and what Finn Harps do so look I, I, I would still back them with no great confidence but I'd stick with them and if Tom Lonergan can keep hitting the back of the net he could be, he could be the difference between the two sides. Yeah, well, what what do you reckon, Paul? I mean, we always kind of assume that Hearts will find a way to drag their way out of it, but you know, year on year, you're down there. There's always the danger that eventually you're going to get caught, and potentially this could be the season that they do get caught. Yeah, even even when they start the season well, they seem to themselves in this position come kind of September October. Just looking at the UCD fixtures there, like. Drahada and Shells are, are certainly games that they'll fancy picking up some points in. Um, so leading into that Finn Harps game, you wouldn't be at all surprised if they if they were to to pick up something along the way and then kind of all leads its its way to Bally Buffet. Just looking the 28th of October away to Finn Harps, it just it's not gonna be a pretty game of football up there. The pitch, I'd say, would be in bits. Uh the wind and the rain probably a bit of a blend and it, it kind of stinks of a Finn Harps kind of scrappy win to get them out of out of uh, another relegation battle but UCD are I don't know like they're, they're so inconsistent obviously they've they've lost kind of two of their main players um throughout the season and, and that's maybe kind of hindered their progress a bit and they've always been playing a bit of catch up I always feel when it comes to this stage of the season with the big games that it can go one way or another with them. And I just have a feeling that Finn Harps are just going to have a bit too much, um, particularly in that game. And if Finn Harps win that game, I think it'd be very difficult for UCD to kind of make up the points from there. But if they can pick up something in the lead to that game, if they can kind of nudge their way ahead of Finn Harps, probably lean in favour of them. But it, it could be difficult. I know I've probably given you, Anthony, probably three different answers there. <laughs> uh, it's just so close. It's been so close between the two of them all season that it's very hard to call. But Finn Harps have done it before. You would probably just lean in favour of them. Yeah, I mean, the, the Harps' next game is, is away to Bowles. And uh, this is the way football is, Keith. Bowles have just they've got a new manager, Declan Devine. They've been looking since August. Keith Long departed. Um, so he, potentially, you know, first home game for Declan there. He might might be a bit of a reaction, a bit of a bounce. Uh, it's they've taken their time with this, Keith. Um, in terms of appointing a, a new boss, and there's been a lot of names linked and mentioned in the conversation. Uh, what do you think, Drew, to Declan Devine? Yeah, it'll be very interesting. He's obviously he done well in his his two stints with Derry. Uh, not so well in the second half of the second stint, but overall done very well uh, at Derry. 
It'd be very, very interesting. I was at the game on Friday night. I know Declan Devine was at the game on Friday night. I know he, he, I think today is his first day in the job officially, but he was at the game on Friday night against Patson. You know, I, I was expecting there to be a bit of a bounce just because he was in the building and you'd think people would think, I look, the new manager's eyes are on me. There wasn't really much of that there. And I, I spoke to a couple of people down the tunnel and I think there could be a couple of couple of people going out the door soon enough and there could be a, a bit of a turnover in the off-season. And look, I, I, it's, it's a big job. I really do think it's a big job. It's a, it's a big, big club in the League of Ireland standards and it's a big fan base and he will have to hit the ground running. I do think there's there's a certain degree of of success that Bowes fans want. And I don't mean, you know, winning the league. I mean, challenging for Europe. They didn't get anywhere near it this season. Not not really flirting with relegation, but they're more looking over their shoulders than looking up at the top of the league, in my opinion. So it, it is a big, big job. And Declan Devine, what he will do is he'll go in and he'll put a spine to the team and he'll put a structure to them and he'll make them work hard and... That's the basics, and if they do the basics, and he gets people on side, and he makes the right type of signings in the off season, then yeah, Bowes Bowes can challenge for Europe. But at the minute, you know, when he, you go back to the the quarter final against Shelbourne, it was so so poor. And then uh, the the last time we seen him was Friday against St Pat's, really really poor again. And you know, they're two two Dublin derbies that he just didn't turn up in, and now the the season is just dwindling out. But Declan Devine now will be in. He has a two or three games to work with the lads, two or three weeks until the next season. So, yeah, it's very, very interesting. But, you know, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a huge job. I have to be honest. I, I think it's a bigger job than people think it is. People see Bowes as a very attractive prospect, which it is as a club. But I think I think, I think it's a massive job, I have to be honest. And we'll, we'll see how he goes on the football in front. But I think there'll be a big clear out in the off-season. Yeah, I'll just read you a quote here from Derek Pender, the caretaker manager. This is from last week, Paul, um, or the start of last week. It's up to them, them as in the players, if they want to buy into what Bowles is as a club. And I don't think everyone has this year. I'm sure people will be moving on at the end of the season. Uh, maybe that gives us an indication of the issues they've had over the course of the year, that there's, there's something just not right there, something broken maybe within that dressing room. Yeah, I mean, everybody kind of alludes to the League of Ireland and, and the huge turnover that we've seen within sides and within squads. And Bowles is probably no different. If you look at the team that played against Pats the other night versus the team that played the FAI Cup final, I think Kieran Kelly was the only survivor. So the fact that they've lost so much, I guess, their their squad from last year that that did particularly well in Europe and particularly well in the probably shouldn't come as much of a surprise as, um, as, as maybe we are to where they sit in the league. I think... You know, naturally enough, recruitment is is the most important part of football and, and getting the right players into the building. And they've not done that. They've not replaced the likes of Tierney, Devoy, Georgie Kelly, the players that they've brought in. It just hasn't worked. Um, and that's probably what Derek Pender is alluding to there. There's there's a certain kind of uh, work ethic that ex- that the Bowles fans ex- expect when when they're psycho out and they just haven't met that consistently enough and the effort levels have probably dropped off to from what they've seen in previous seasons. So yeah, it's a massive, it's a massive, massive job, like Keith says. I mean, Declan Devine's number one priority now is that he gets the right bodies into the building. You know, the the recruitment side of things is going to be vitally important for Declan Devine and that he gets the the right players into the building to to play the way he wants his team to play and the Bowls fans kind of expect. So with the club going full time next year, um, they've got a lot right off the pitch in recent years. They've got by and large a lot right on the pitch. 
it's important now that over the next 12, 18 months that the club kind of gets back on, on the right track to where it's been and, and they start pushing again, particularly in that European football front. So it's it's a big job for Declan Devine. It's one I'm sure the club will rally behind him and, it, you know, it's in some important stage in the club's development. Yeah, it sure is. And uh, we it's going to be really interesting, as you say, to see how he gets on. He's, he's certainly going to bring plenty of energy and passion to that job. That is for sure. Um, okay, we're just going to have a little further reflection on the Ireland women's team who qualified for our first ever World Cup as we recorded today. It's, it's six days since that famous win in Hampton Park. Um, Keith, I mean, like we, we don't need to dwell on this at this point. I don't think that they, they probably soured their own celebrations the following day in terms of what came out in the dressing room and things like that. But they certainly didn't sour their legacy or, or the scale of the achievement um, I mean, what what did you make of it all, and and what do you think the impact of of this is for the women's game in this country? Uh, I think the impact will be huge. I remember when speaking when the English ladies won the Euros, and I thought that would have a spillover effect in into Ireland, and it would inspire the next generation of women. But now the Irish women team have qualified for the World Cup, forced ever time to do it, and you know, look, it's a huge achievement. I. I I don't know how best to put it, but I, I have a 13 year old girl and a 12 year old girl, and they have no interest in football. Never wanted to, you know, look at anything to do with me in football, but they took note when the ladies uh, qualified for the World Cup. And it, it really, I think there's going to be such a knock on uh, effect of this. That really, this is what got me into football. I remember my dad bringing me to Lansdowne and the Irish team doing so well in, in the early 90s and <clears throat> expiring me to go on to be a footballer. And, I think the, the, the girls should be so, so proud of themselves because they have inspired the next generation. And yeah, I, I just think it's excellent. I really do. I'm, I'm so proud of them, every, each and every one of them, to go over to Hampden. And I must be honest, I, I thought it was a step too far. I thought Scotland would be too good for us. But, and going to Hampden as well, you know, the, the, the men's team were only just there and we seen how hard it was for them. So we knew it was going to be a tough place, but there was bodies on the line, passion, desire, to get the goal as well then and to defend like we did. It, it was just inspired and it really, really was inspired. And it was, every one of them was fighting for the Irish jersey. They all loved it and the passion. It was it was really inspired and I have to say, and like I say, I loved it. And even my two little girls who have no interest in football have, have taken an interest now and I'm sure they'll be watching the Women's World Cup with me. So well done to them. And I can, I can only just keep saying well done. I'm, I'm in awe of them, so proud of them. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, Paul. Like maybe a lot of people don't realise how big the tournament is or is, is going to be because we haven't been in it. <laughs> now we're actually invested and are going to be in it. Like it, this is a huge deal, and, and as Keith says, it's a team that like, and we can debate about their how they set up. They are quite defensive, um, not always easy on the eye, but it is effective, and they are a seriously dogged and committed team, aren't they? This this Ireland side. Yeah, they are. I mean. I probably consider myself a bit of a, a blow-in or a bandwagon fan like, only since kind of this European or sorry the World Cup qualifiers have taken place as a, have I really been kind of tracking it um, on a consistent basis and I mean we all saw the magnitude of, of the European Championships when when they were on in the UK during the summer and, and kind of how much that game has grown you know, over the last three four years particularly within Europe and, and the fans and the following behind it and I'm sure there was many players within that squad who were looking on jealous of the fact that we weren't there and maybe determined then to get to the next major tournament and they've done exactly that I mean the performances not only against Scotland but the performance against 
Finland recently, uh, Sweden within the group. The performances were so dogged and they were so determined. And there's so many players that have kind of grown into that into that shirt during that campaign. And Courtney Brosnan is 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 no better example. And I mean, the penalty save was one thing, but some of the pressure moments that she just controlled herself and she was commanding of her area and and that that kind of presence kind of sprinkled itself throughout the team. And when you've got the likes of Denise O'Sullivan and Katie McCabe in that final third, you've always got an opportunity of of a moment of magic, whether it be from a set piece or open play. And and we've seen that not only in the Scotland game, but throughout the European or through the qualifiers. So it bodes really well. Um, we, we keep a number of clean sheets. We are a threat from, from a number of different avenues within any game. And we're, we're a difficult team to play against. So the tournament is massive. The draw, I, I think, takes place quite soon. Um, once we kind of know who we're going up against, you wouldn't at all bet against us getting out of the group and being really competitive over there. But it's, it's yes, it's the impact of qualifying for the competition, everybody being excited about it. But it's, it's kind of the the spin-off from, from the tournament, the engagement, the numbers, the sponsorship, uh, the growing of the game here domestically, feeding our players into the WSL in the UK. Um, that effect over the next two, three, four, five years is going to be massive. So it's it's huge for women's football here in, in Ireland. Um, the journey that they've been on from swapping the tracksuits in, in the airport to qualifying for a major tournament, you, you can't underestimate that journey at all. Yeah, the, the draw takes place... Um this Saturday actually uh, in New Zealand and uh, we will learn then who Ireland are going to face next summer in Australia and New Zealand. They're going to be in pot three Ireland so probably need a little bit of luck just in terms of the draw. They'll be the third seed out of 14, out of four pots so uh, it could be very, very difficult or they might catch a break and get one of the host nations which would, which would give them a good chance. Um, New Zealand and Australia are, you know, Ireland bet Australia in a, in a friendly a year ago so um, we await that with interest, and as you say, it's it's a it's a huge moment for the women's game in this country. Uh, we are now going to move on to the Liverpool Manchester City game on Sunday. Just 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 have a quick chat on that before we wrap up, lads. Um, Keith, I, I I mean, when is a foul not a foul these days? I, I we're, we're hearing that the referees are, are letting they're, they're letting things go, and everybody likes that. You know, there's physical contact as part of the game. You don't want the referee blowing his whistle every 30 seconds, but uh, there was quite a lot of debate around the Haaland disallowed goal. In my opinion, it was it was a clear foul, but was it, or what, what did you think? In real time, I didn't think it was a foul, uh, and I think the referee obviously agreed with me, because you can see him gesture to uh, Fabinho to get back up that there wasn't anything in it, so that's grand. The goal, they scored a goal then, and then VAR have a look at it, and you think, yeah, there's a bit of a pull there, but that's VAR refereeing the game then. Do you know what I mean? That VAR is overstepping. It's it's not a clear and obvious thing because the ref's he's two or three yards away from it. He's seen it. Great view. It's it's not a clear and obvious one for me. So I think the goal should have stood, although I can see why it hasn't stood. It, it's one of them. It's it's a 50-50. For me, in, in looking at the whole picture, I would like to see the goal be given just because I don't want VAR interrupting with things like that. That, that, that in itself... You know, hasn't really led to the goal. Liverpool should have defended better from there. I know Haaland gets through. I mean, none of the Liverpool players really went back and asked for a foul on Fabinho. They were looking for a foul on Anderson, and that wasn't given. And then it, it just happened to go back. So that that for me wasn't clear and obvious. But I I have to underline that I can see why it was given. It, it was one of them grey shady areas. I think it was a bit weak to be honest with you. But 
look, I, I thought it was a really good game. And the one thing for me that I think Pep Guardiola would be most annoyed about is Salah's goal is excellent. When Allison kicks the ball 70 yards up the pitch and he, he does that turn on Cancelo, it's a beautiful bit of skill. But why does Cancelo try and win the ball? He's, he's 1v1 with Salah. Salah has a, a rocket of a pass coming into him. At best, he's going to be able to take a touch and then start running at you. So Cancelo doesn't have to sell himself. He just stays two or three yards away from him, keeps him there, and gives his teammates an opportunity to go back and help him. When he goes to try and win that ball, he's given Salah a chance to go and beat him, which Salah does. And listen, it's, I'm taking nothing away from the skill of Salah. The, the skill is excellent. It's, it's unbelievable skill. But Cancelo should never, ever give him the chance to beat him. He shouldn't have sold himself. And that's a, a world-class <laughs> defender in Joe Cancelo. But... These sort of games hinge on, on the finest, finest of margins. And Joe Cancelo deciding to jump in there has lost the game and the little pull on Haaland and, and VAR has just all accumulated in it. But look, it, it wasn't the game I think we all expected. It was a bit more scrappy. It wasn't as free-flowing. There wasn't as many chances. And, you know, the, the one surprise was that Haaland didn't hit the back of the net, people are saying. But he, he had some decent chances. He had a header that he probably would have liked to do done better with. He looked dangerous all the time, but look, it's still a learning curve for him. Although he, he he's absolutely on fire, he's some of the stats are they're, they're off the off the wall. Good, you know. So, you know, I wouldn't be quick to, to point the finger at him. He's been excellent, but you know, City would be really really disappointed, and Arsenal would be rubbing their hands together. You know, as an Arsenal fan, I still don't think they have any chance to go on and win the title. But you know, the, the longer it goes on, like the last time I started saying this was Leicester. Oh, now surely they wouldn't. Now nah, somebody will catch them. Oh God, maybe they'll do it. And you know, after the World Cup of Arsenal, are still in such a strong position. You know, maybe maybe we'll start to believe then. Yeah, it's it's just a mad season with that World Cup. It's, it's splitting the whole thing in half. But well, we keep hearing about Liverpool and City that it's a, it's a sort of friendly rivalry, and it didn't look like it yesterday. Like it, there does seem to be genuine needle there, sort of underneath the surface. Ah, there absolutely is. I mean. There's there's the utmost respect, particularly between the managers and and the squads off the pitch. But the second it kind of it leads itself on onto a ninety minute game, there is certainly needle there. And of course, you're going to expect that. I mean, the two teams have been pushing each other relentlessly for the last two, three, four years on all fronts in in kind of domestic cups and in, in particularly in the league. And it's probably the game that Liverpool needed yesterday to kind of spark them into life. They've they've been a bit lethargic in certain performances. It kind of looked like key personnel and maybe taking the foot off off the accelerator a bit in in recent weeks and that was a game where they really dug in it wasn't like Keith said that the prettiest of games and maybe that's what Liverpool needed and just kind of dig their heels in be dog be difficult to break down and, and that's certainly what they were I thought you know Virgil van Dijk was absolutely superb yes so even just the, the little bits and pieces um you think back to the header that he cut out one that Haaland look certain to kind of nod in from two, three yards out. His, his recovery was superb. His use of the ball was absolutely brilliant. And he brought out the best of, of Gomez and Robertson either side of him. So a really important win for, for Liverpool, the likes of Salah as well, right back in form. The goal that Keith mentioned was was superb. Just I was counting, yes, it was four touches from, from the turn on the halfway line to finishing it. And he was a threat all day. He gave Diaz and Ake and Akanji numerous problems so um yeah it, it springs Liverpool back into life whether or not they'd be able to kind of kick on from there we'll wait and see the performances today kind of haven't really suggested that they're going to do it consistently but that might be the turning point for them and for City it's it's just about kind of getting back to to what they've been doing over over recent weeks was really surprised by the way they set up yesterday and um, couldn't really 
wrap my head around it. Greedish is banging form. I don't understand why you just wouldn't start that front three of Foden, Haaland and Greedish and, and try replicate what they did against Manchester United. So that was a strange one for me. Um, but, I mean, I'm probably inclined to, to not question Pep Guardiola given, given what he's done with that squad. Yeah, we'll just give you the, the last word on Arsenal, Keith, because, I mean, you probably didn't see their win against Leeds, but, okay, they, they might not go all the way this year. City are just so good, but what's different about them? Because they are going well. They do look like a, a decent side. They really do. A much more solid, accomplished side this year. Yeah, well, like, like Paul was saying to earlier about Bowes, I think the recruitment, I think they've got the recruitment right this year. I think Mikel Arteta is doing an outstanding job, and, Whenever anybody asks me why Arsenal are doing as well as they are, when you throw your mind back to Aubameyang being late for meetings and he was the captain and he, he was Arsenal's best player by a long way at the time. So it was a big, big decision for uh, Mikel Arteta to decide, listen, I'm going to put you on the bench in a North London derby, I believe it was. And it, ever since then, that, that was something that needed to happen. It wasn't something that the manager would have wanted to do because it would have affected the team on the pitch. But he had to do it because Arsenal's players, the likes of Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, these are all young, over the guard. They need a proper leader. They need standard set. And Aubameyang wasn't the, the type of off the off the type off the field captain that he was looking for. Now he has, a, you know, the young players. Over the guard is the captain. Granite jacket. You know, when you look back at where, where his career was two years ago when he was getting booed off the pitch by the fans and he was having variables with them, he's a different player. He's playing higher up the pitch. And again, that comes back to Mikhail Ateta. But I think Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus coming in, Thomas Partey looks like he's, he's really, really starting to find his arsenal feet as well, which is great. And I just, The one thing that I have question marks over Arsenal, I've said it before, and I got a little bit of slack because with the World Cup bang in the middle of this season, with Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, I know Odegaard's not going to the World Cup, but this is going to be a huge ask for them to stay injury-free, especially Saka and Martinelli, because they're playing on the wings. They're so explosive. They're, they're going to be heavily, heavily reliant on them two wingers. They're going to come back from the World Cup. You would imagine Brazil and England will go pretty deep into the World Cup. They're, that's going to be a quite, quite a big, big workload for players that are only in their second, maybe third season in the Premier League. So them, for me, at some point, youth comes comes uh, in experience. And I think they'll come off the boil at some point. But to go back to your original question, I think Jesus and Zinchenko, they have a winning mentality from Manchester City. And Mikel Arteta has brought his mentality from, from Manchester City as well. And I think, although Arsenal are a massive club and they shouldn't be replicating anybody else, I think why not take a blueprint from Manchester City? You know, they've got, uh, like I say, Zinchenko and Jesus in there. Mikel Arteta, they know the Manchester City way and I think they're just dragging the standards up and the Arsenal players, to their credit, have all bought into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, moving well for, for now, at least we'll see how it goes um, post-World Cup and, and into the new year. But Arsenal are top of the league and look good. Talking about title races, what about this in the Women's National League? We're two games to go. Wexford are on 55 points. Shells are on 54 points. Piemount and Athlone both on 52 points. So you've got a four-horse race here. On Saturday, Wexford play Piemount and then Shelburne uh, play Wexford in their final match. So there's going to be a hell of a lot of twists and turns. Just a quick recap on the, the weekend's action in that league. Wexford are, are still a point clear after Kylie Murphy's hat-trick helped them to a 5-2 win over Sligo. Shell's just behind them on a, a point behind, as we mentioned. Uh, they had a 2-1 win away to DLR Waves. 
It's been a very good week for Anya O'Gorman. She was excellent in uh, Glasgow to help Ireland qualify for that World Cup. And she hit two goals as P-Mount bet Cork 5-0 at Toronto's Cross. That keeps them in the hunt. And Athlone, who themselves could finish the season with a double, they're in the cup final as well. Uh, they've had a brilliant campaign um, and they hammered Treaty 7-0. Five goals from Emily Corbett in that match to keep them in the hunt. And the other game, Galway, came from a goal down to beat Bowles 2-1. Um, we're going to leave it there for this week. So I'd like to thank Paul and Keith again for joining me. Uh, we will have coverage across RT of the Women's World Cup, bra, uh, World Cup draw excuse me, from New Zealand on Saturday morning. Uh, online and on television so join us for that thanks again lads and we will be back with you next week cheers